Once more, I welcome everyone to worship this morning. Take your Bibles, open to the book of Philippians. In the overflow, Perry, Oklahoma, Pastor Brian, Brandon, we love you guys so much. Uh, open the Word of God with us. Going to start a new series entitled To Live is Christ. Just simply going to go through the book of Philippians together. It, it's not a long book. Uh, at the same time, though, we will be skipping so much good stuff. And, uh, uh, and I regret that. However, I do feel like uh, we'll bring the message Messages that the Lord has for us at this time, in this place, and uh, we will trust him with his word. Philippians. Why is it called Philippians? Because it's written to the church at Philippi. You started to say Philippia. Yeah, Philippi. Philippi is the name of the town, the city, and the church there, the, the people there were called the Philippians. And so uh, Philippians is called Philippians because it is a letter that the Apostle Paul, the missionary Paul, has written back to this church. Now, Philippi is an amazing city. Uh, it's the very, very first place that the gospel was preached on the continent of Europe. Paul did not, a number of missionary journeys, and you can look in the back of your Bible and see the maps there. But, but when Paul crossed over to Philippi, that's the first time that the gospel, that the news of Jesus was preached on the entire continent of Europe. So let that sink in. This church that we're talking about here, the church at Philippi, is the very first church on the entire continent of Europe. So most everything that's happened in Christian history, especially in the West, goes back to this little group of people right here, the Philippians. What we have here is basically a, a thank you note. How many of you had mamas or dads that taught you to write thank you notes? Yeah, oh my goodness, not so many of us. So, so, uh, so, so don't be looking for them around here. Uh, thank you notes. Philippians is, is a letter, but it's more or less a, a thank you note. Paul is in prison when he writes the letter to the Philippians. He's in prison in Rome. In those days, since Paul was a Roman citizen, he wasn't really in a dungeon, as you might picture. He was probably in a house. He was in home incarceration, you could say. But instead of having an ankle bracelet you know, strapped on, he has a Roman soldier chained to him at all times. So he's probably in a house with a Roman soldier chained to him at all times. It's actually the Praetorian Guard, so it's one of Caesar's own bodyguards. It's like having the secret service of the president guard you. So he's actually got some very influential men who are his guards. House arrest in Rome, though, was kind of interesting. that They would keep you in the house, but they would not furnish you any food, and they would not pay your rent. So Paul actually has to pay the rent and somehow get food, even though he can't leave the house and he can't work. And so honestly, he needs help. He, he needs help. If, if you guys have seen the Hunger Games, you know the Hunger Games, how when they're out there and they need help, they get sponsors, and the sponsors will float a little parachute down with medicine or, or food. It's that sort of thing. The, the church at Philippi has become his sponsor, and when he needs the help the most, they manage to send him help. Now, in this particular instance, they've sent him money. Paul ordinarily accepts money from nobody. He's very proud of the fact that he can preach the gospel and not have to be supported by any church anywhere. But Philippi is different. This church is very, very dear to his heart. They are friends, and he accepts their help willingly. They have sent the money to him by, by means of a deacon named Epaphroditus, However, and Epaphroditus, it's a long, long way from Philippi to Rome. And by the time Epaphroditus gets there, he's really, really sick. I mean, like he's about to die. He comes up, and he's like, and he's all, oh, Paul, you know, good to see you. And Paul's thinking, ooh. 
And so Paul now is sending a thank you letter, and he's sending Epaphroditus back. He says, thank you for the money. I really need the money, but I have nothing to do with a sick deacon. Please take Epaphroditus back. God bless him, and he's going to keep Timothy with him. That's sort of the message. It's a thank you note. Thank you for the gift. Thank you for your support. I love you so much. Please receive Epaphroditus back. Thank you for sending him to me, but, but honestly, he needs to come back home. He's a sick man. But in the course of writing those simple words of thank you, Paul, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, writes an amazing, amazing word to that church in that day and to uh, the church of every day and every place in all times. Uh, The letter to the Philippians becomes a letter for us. So let's look at this together. Let's start right at the top. I don't know how far we'll get today, but we're going to keep coming back. And so we'll just go as far as the Lord lets us go. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. This is a letter. When I write a letter, I say, dear uh, Mike and Charlotte, uh, I put the name of the people I'm addressing at the top, and then I will put my name at the bottom, love, Tim, something like that. When Paul writes a letter in, in the Roman Empire in those days, you put the senders at the top. So instead of saying love, Tim, at the bottom, he says, this is Paul, right at the top, and then he also addresses it to who he's sending the letter, and then he starts his message. So here's the letter. Here, here we go. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I am writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Underline that. That's so good. God, who began a good work within you, will continue it until it's finished. That's so good. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. Notice how Paul thinks about love. The love's going to overflow into what? Really warm feelings? No. What's the love overflow into? Knowledge, understanding. I pray that the love will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, For this will bring much glory and praise to God. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. And it's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. 
They preach because they love me, for they know I've been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. That doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Let's stop there. Wow, wow, wow. Verse 3. Every time I think of you, I give thanks. Could he possibly be stretching that a a little bit? I mean, every time I think of you. Have you read Acts chapter 16? Do you know the story of how Paul planted the church at Philippi? It was crazy. This was a crazy place. And honestly, it had to have been, uh, on the one hand, one of the worst times of Paul's life. I mean, have you read the story? Do you remember the part about that lunatic slave girl, fortune teller girl, who follows Paul around and aggravates him to the point where he finally turns around and just casts the devil out of her? I mean, she was demon-possessed. That was Philippi. So I'm thinking that every time I think of those people, I'd be thinking about that lunatic fortune teller, you know, demon-possessed slave girl. I mean, how could you not think about her? But that's not what Paul says. Paul says, every time I think about you, I give thanks to God. What? Because after he cast the demon out of the lunatic slave girl, then she really wasn't any count as a fortune teller anymore. Without the devil in her, she couldn't tell you what she was going to have for lunch. And so all of a sudden, her handlers, the guys who owned her and made money off of her, uh, her spiritual gifts, Understand, at that point, they recognize that they are now out of business. They now have a worthless, formerly demon-possessed, lunatic, slave girl, fortune teller. And so they become very, very angry. So they grab Paul and his partner Silas. He grabs Paul and Silas out. They throw him out, and a whole mob develops. Okay, so I would be saying, every time I think about you, I remember the lunatic, demon-possessed, fortune-telling slave girl and the guys who had me thrown into the middle of a mob. I would remember the mob. How can you forget the mob? See, that's not all. The mob, they strip Paul and Silas naked in the public square. They stripped them naked and then they beat them publicly. They beat them with wooden rods. They beat them to a bloody pulp. And the only thing that keeps them alive is that eventually they are captured up and thrown into jail where the jailer takes their bloody legs and clamps them down into the shackles. Okay, so I would be saying, every time I think of you people, I think about the beaten. I still got scars on my back from the time I was stripped naked in the public square at Philippi, and you people beat me. I remember the beaten. I remember the stink of that jail. I remember the feeling of leaning up against a stone wall and the blood in my back sticking to the wall. I remember the stench. 
I remember the blood. I remember the shackles. I remember the jailer that took my mug shot and chained me to the wall. I remember the jail. But that's not what Paul says. Every time I think of you people, I thank God. Okay, he's in jail now. He's in a different jail now. As a matter of fact, he writes this letter with chains. What is it with Paul? What is it with the man who, when he looks back on the worst days of his life, he says, all I do is just give thanks. And what is it about a guy who, in prison and, and very possibly facing execution, very likely facing execution, what is it about a man who says, you know, I'm in chains and I rejoice. As a matter of fact, I'm going to continue to rejoice. What is it about a man who can suffer the worst that life can possibly dish out, can suffer the worst of it, and still somehow have nothing but thanksgiving and joy in his heart. Are you with me? Pastor Rick Warren, who I have a lot of respect for, Rick Warren says that at one time in his life, he probably thought that life was a series of ups and downs. You know what I mean? It's like a roller coaster. And sometimes you're up and sometimes you're down. But, but that if you're down now, just continue to have faith and persevere. And sooner or later, you'll come back up. And, and if you're up now, hang on and pray because one of these days you'll probably come down. Life is like a series of, of ups and downs. And Rick Warren said that he probably used to believe that. And he also says that most everybody in the world even subconsciously, that's how they assume that life goes. You're in good times and then you're in bad times. But, but Pastor Rick says that, that the amazing lesson for him was learned after, right after he came out with the book, The Purpose Driven Life. It's, it's a good book. He came out with the book, The Purpose Driven Life, and then suddenly this man became one of the most famous and influential pastors on the planet. You, you know that? became one of the most influential and famous pastors on the planet and everybody wanted to know him and everybody wanted to go to his church and he also became a very wealthy man. He became so wealthy and this is what I love about him that at that point in his life he began, first thing he did was go back and repay the church that he had pastored for years. He repaid the church every penny of salary they had ever paid him and he started working for free. He repaid every penny of salary they'd ever paid him, and then he started working for free. He also started reverse tithing. Now, tithing is when typically Christians will will give 10% of everything they earn, and then the 90%, you know, that we keep for ourselves. Rick Warren flipped that. He started living on 10% and giving away 90%. This was where he was. It was a very happy time of his life. And at that moment, at the very best and most amazing time of his life and success as a a Christian minister, at that time, his wife Kay got cancer. At that very same time, his wife got cancer. And so, on the one hand, these wonderful things, these wonderful blessings of God were just 
pouring into his life. His ministry was effective, and, and, and people were getting saved and coming to Christ. He, he became this amazing man of Christian influence, and his wife had cancer. They say that in those days, some of the television interviews he did were actually in one of the quiet rooms at the hospital as his wife took chemotherapy. How do you do that? Because this is what Rick Warren said. He said that life is not just simply ups and downs. It's not like that at all. Pastor Warren says that truly life is more like uh, a train that moves on two rails all the time. And one of these rails is the rail of trouble and trials and bad things. You're always going to have trouble. There's always going to be something in your life to bring you down. There will always be that rail. But he says that there's a second rail, and they always run side by side. One rail is the rail of trouble and trials, and the other rail is the rail of God's presence and God's power and God's blessing. And it's not that sometimes you receive God's blessing and sometimes you're in trial. He says it's not like that at all. That truly in our lives, in every single minute, at every day, at all times, you're traveling down two rails. You've got blessings and you've got trouble. And very honestly, you get to choose which one you focus on. Is that making sense? You get to choose what you focus on. Now, you can decide to simply focus on your trouble and you can focus on your suffering. And Paul could have done that too. He could have said, every time I remember you people, I remember the crazy slave girl and I remember the beaten and the jail. And I tell you, every time I think about you, I can taste blood in my mouth again. Every time I think of you. But that's not what Paul says. He says, when I think of you, I thank God. Now, you remember the night that Paul was in the jail in Philippi, right? You remember that night, the, the night they, after they had beat him and the crazy slave girl and the jailer took his mugshot and, and chained him to the wall. You remember what Paul and Silas did next, right? What did they do? They sang. And what did they sing? Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Was, was, that, was that it? No. They sang praise. Praises. They sing praises to God. Do you understand that even in the belly of the jail with the bleeding back, somehow Paul still had a mouth to praise God. Do you understand? At every moment in your life, you've got that choice. At every single moment of every single day, you have that choice. You have enough trouble every day to bring you down and put yourself back in the bed. You have that much trouble every single day. You could stay bitter, and you could stay low, and you can be depressed, and you can choose to just go ahead and give up on life, but you have another choice in Christ. You have another choice. Are, are you believing me? Are, are you listening? Look at what Paul says. Look at verse 12. I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that's happened to me, everything that's happened to me, and I could write you a book, Paul says, everything that's happened to me has happened to spread the good news. Okay, now that's interesting. That's interesting. How does Paul judge a situation in his life? How does Paul make an evaluation about a situation? What is his criteria? Everything that happens to me 
I ask one question, and that is, how is it good for me? Is that Paul's way? Because that's, that's probably my way and yours. I mean, whatever happens to us, we tend to sort of think, how is this good for me? Or how is this bad for me? How does this affect my finances? How does this affect my children? How does this affect my home? That's how we think. But that's not how Paul thinks. Everything that's happened to me, Paul says, it's It's been good for the gospel, and for that reason, I give thanks and praise. It's good for the gospel. That's probably an attitude far away from the way most of us think. That's probably far away from the way most of us think. I love what Paul says. I love verse 3 so much. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. Who's he talking about? He's talking about all those people. He's talking about the Philippian jailer who beat him and took his mugshot and chained him to the wall. And then that very night called upon the name of the Lord Jesus and became a believer. And now he's a partner in the good news. So Paul says, whatever happens to me, it was, it was good for the gospel, and for that reason, I just give thanks. I just give thanks. It doesn't matter how it affected me. It was good for the gospel. It was good for God's work in the world, and that's all I care about, Paul says. It's all I, I care about. And I'm certain, verse 6, that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. The God who began a good work in you, he is going to complete it. Going to complete it. Some of you right now in your house, if we open the closets, you've got so many things you started and never finished. So many things you started. What I love is about every... 10 years, we have a church-wide yard sale. And that's so much fun when you guys start bringing out your junk. Because what will we have more than anything else? Church-wide yard sale, you're getting rid of stuff you don't use. What do we get? Exercise equipment like new, like brand new. Y'all be bringing exercise bikes that don't have a half a mile on them and they're 10 years old. What does that mean? It means that we have this tendency to start things, never finish. We start something and we forget we started and walked off and we start something else. But the truth about God is that everything he starts, he finishes. He finishes it with perfection. He finishes it with faithfulness. Everything he begins, he finishes. So what is his work in you? What is his work in you? in me. It's always the same. And you hear me say this over and over and over. His work is to make us like himself. His work is to make us holy as he is holy. His work is to transform us by the renewing of our minds so that we can have the mind of Christ, so that we can live the life of Christ, so that the life I live is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. For me to live is Christ, Paul says. Do you understand? That's the purpose of your life for you to die to yourself and live the life of Christ you're supposed to be becoming like Christ so that's the work and Paul says that work that he's begun inside of you he'll never ever stop until it's finished okay 
Here's the funny part, though. In the very, very first verse, he says, I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi. Now, would that probably not apply to very many of them? If I said, okay, Woodburn Baptist Church, all the holy people move over to the redneck section. That's where they are. Now, if I said that all the holy people move over here, what would you think? How would you decide who's holy and who's not? Here's the funny part. Paul's talking to all of them. He's talking to every one of them. He calls them holy. He calls them saints right now. Right now, they're already holy. How do you explain that? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, holiness, I mean, either you is or either you ain't. How can he say that you're already holy and then say God started something and he's going to finish it? I mean, I thought holy was perfection. How can he say I am holy and then say God's still making me holy? I read an interesting story about a young girl in Great Britain. Her name is Josie Caven. Josie Caven. She was born totally, profoundly deaf. She couldn't hear any sound. But a miracle of modern technology, this past December over Christmas, she received a, a cochlear implant. You know what that is? It, it's a miracle. It's, it's a cochlear implant. It's, it's like an artificial ear. So back in December, little Josie, 12 years old, never heard anything in her life. They activated the new cochlear implant around Christmas. The first thing she heard was her mama's voice. The next thing she heard, they say, is jingle bells playing over a loudspeaker. She heard jingle bells. But now, in the months between now and back last Christmas, Josie's had an amazing kind of adventure, and it's still going on every single day. Every day, she'll say, Mama, what's that? What's that? Josie had to learn that when you turn on lights, they buzz. You know that, right? You're used to hearing it, but Josie had never heard that sound. What's that? Every day is a new adventure and new sounds that this girl has never heard in her life. Now, let me ask you, when was her hearing restored completely? Well, December. December. It was a complete Wonderful miracle. They restored her hearing. But at the same time, we can still say months later, she's still learning to, to live with that, to, to walk in that. She's still learning how to hear. And you can say the same thing about my holiness and yours. It's complete. It's complete. What Christ did for me on the cross is complete. He didn't halfway save me. He didn't halfway forgive me. He didn't halfway make me his own. I have today, this moment, all of the righteousness of Christ before God. When God looks at me, he sees me already holy, already righteous, not because of me, but because of Christ. So therefore, Paul could address me and you and everybody else who belongs to Christ. He can say, you're holy people. You're righteous people. You have all of the holiness and righteousness that, that comes from Christ. You have it right now. But we still got to learn to walk in it. 
Still practicing the ways of holiness. Still learning to hide myself behind his righteousness. I am still trying by, by all of the strength that God gives me to disappear into Christ. I want to be like a dead man and I want Christ to live in me. You see, it's, it's, it's now and it's not yet all at the same time. I'm holy, but still letting that holiness take over. That's the Christian life. Let me do one more thing with it, and we'll wrap up. Go to that last verse, verse 19. This is so good. Understand, Paul's been in jail. He's back in jail. He's got guards chained to his leg, and I love this part. He says, you know what? Turns out pretty much the whole palace garden now has heard about Jesus. What's that mean? Understand, you know, they, they change shifts every 12 hours, so there's a new guard chained to Paul every 12 hours, and what does Paul do once he's got a guard chained to him? just starts preaching yeah as it turns out Paul's not being chained to guards they're being chained to him you understand he's just preaching just preaching to the palace the whole palace guard now has heard about Jesus and notice what he says I know verse 19 I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me this is gonna to lead to my deliverance and we're gonna go on from there tonight it's awesome what comes next but Zero right there, verse 19 with me. The Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me. I know that we're Baptists and we're not supposed to know about these things, but listen. That word that Paul uses there that's translated help, it's the word that we get our word for choreography. The Holy Spirit is going to choreograph my life. Now those of you who come to the Baptist church by way of the Presbyterians, What's a choreographer do? Dance. Yeah, it's about dance. Paul says that the Holy Spirit is choreographing my life. That word literally means to, to make a grand production, to choreograph, to move the players around. Do you see what this is saying? This is what Paul is saying about his life. And he's in jail, chained to guards. But he says, you know what, the more you pray for me and the more the Holy Spirit choreographs my life, this is all going to work out for my deliverance. Yeah. Wow. Again, as Baptists, we don't dance much, but I've always loved to watch other people dance. Do you remember, I'm 47, so I'm going to talk like an old man now. Andrew, you weren't born yet, but do y'all remember... The first time you saw like a Michael Jackson music video on MTV, back when MTV played music videos? Do you remember like the first time Michael Jackson, do you remember Beat It? Do you remember that? Just amazing where all of those, all of those guys stepped out and they're at the same time just dancing in perfect synchronicity they just all land out there and they're, doo -doo -doo -doo, they're doo -doo. I mean it was just so cool it was so cool thriller do you remember thriller because we'd never seen anything much like this at least not in Matlock we had never seen anything like a whole group of people that just start dancing perfectly together do you remember thriller those zombies step out of this it was so cool these days it's the flash mob y'all know about flash mobs go ahead and google that mamaw flash mob 
a flash mob these days. It's when you just get sort of random people. They don't know each other. They've never met. But they connect through social media like Facebook or Twitter. And they just decide to descend to somewhere and dance or do something else random or do something amazing. And they'll practice all of their moves in their bedrooms by themselves. They practice the dance. And then they just show up at the same time, at the same place. There's a signal somebody gives, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of a shopping mall, in the middle of a public square, you have a whole group of people who suddenly start dancing or singing exactly the same. I, I, I think that's cool. I can tell y'all are Baptists at the moment, but I think that's really, I think that's cool. Because this is what Paul says our life in the Spirit is like. We have a choreographer, and most of us really need one, a choreographer. The Holy Spirit is able to bring people together. The Holy Spirit has this grand vision for my life and yours, this grand vision, and, and, and it involves the entire world. And the Holy Spirit is this master choreographer who is able to orchestrate collisions and able to orchestrate conquests, able to make things happen that seem so random to us, but there's nothing random about it. Right now, we have guys on foreign soil about to preach the gospel in a place where the gospel's never been preached. Do you understand? We pray in that the Holy Spirit is choreographing this entire two weeks. They're going to be meeting people, but it's not going to be random. Do you understand that? There's nothing random about it. They'll meet people in the jungle. They'll meet people on the coast. They'll meet people in the villages. But it's the Holy Spirit always choreographing this. He choreographs our lives. He's choreographing your life right now. But that simply means that you have to move with him. You have to pray. You have to give yourself completely to the Spirit. You have to go where he says go. You have to move when he says move. Suddenly you're surrounded by people, partners in the gospel you didn't even know existed, but the Holy Spirit brings us together. It's it's this grand production. It's this gigantic gospel dance, if I can say that. It's our lives in Christ. But there is an, an, an artful design to all of it. That there is this grand production to it. There is this gigantic, beautiful purpose to it all. And that purpose is the gospel. It's always always about Christ. Whatever happens to you, don't start asking, well, what does this mean for me? And how does this work out for me? And is this good for me? Forget all about yourself. Die to yourself. Start asking, how can God use my situation? How can what I'm going through somehow advance the gospel? I promise you, your attitude has a lot to do with it. It's hard to glorify Christ if you're too busy whining and complaining and, and gossiping and moaning and getting bitter. Understand, you, you can hardly advance the gospel when you talk like a person with no faith. Paul says, I just want you to know every time I think about you, I, I just thank God. 
and everything that's happened to me has been really good for the gospel. And for that reason, in chains, I rejoice and I just plan on continuing to rejoice. Because Jesus is being lifted up in my life. When you will simply let your life lift up Jesus, you may discover there's a whole lot more to be thankful for and an awful lot of rejoicing to be done when you will lift him up. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, we long for nothing, nothing else than for you to be glorified in our lives. Lord, some of us have been on that roller coaster, Lord, of ups and downs and ups and downs. And some in this house today, Lord, feel like they're, they're always down or, or down right now. But, Lord, I pray that you will help them to see, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of sorrow, even in the middle of a broken heart, Lord Jesus, you can do something amazing. You are always able, Lord, to turn things around into a blessing. You can turn things around so that you are lifted up and glorified. And Lord Jesus, if you are lifted up and glorified in our lives in any way, then our lives are worth living. Lord Jesus, help us to understand what really matters. Help us to forget about ourselves and live only for you. We pray these things in your precious, holy, beautiful name. Amen.